Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to go into chapter 18, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 17. Do you know this, that the the divisions of the chapters in the Bible, we just put them in uh, to make it easier for us to read. So they don't, they're not necessarily there. Just because there's a change from chapter 17 to chapter 18 doesn't mean you've changed to a whole new discourse. Right? What we're doing is we're continuing on with the same discourse, and we'll see, we'll see that in a minute. Right? So <clears throat> chapter 17, and we're reading from verse 22, and we're going to read down as far as chapter 18 and verse 8. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married, they were wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So all of a sudden catastrophic judgment came. All of a sudden, it just, it was over. It was done. Uh, they had been, uh, Noah had been building a boat for 120 years, but all of a sudden, the moment came. Likewise, also, is in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which is upon the housetop... Uh, <clears throat> And his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered, uh, they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. And he spake a parable unto them, chapter 18 and verse 1, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, <clears throat> catch this. He's giving you the reason for this parable. It's very unusual. He does it in the next parable as well. Uh, but he's telling you what this is written about so you don't get confused about it. He's telling you uh, this is written for the purpose that men ought always to pray and not to faint. All right, so, you know, if you were writing a, a book, you would have a thesis. Here's what I'm going to write this book about. That's his thesis for this parable. He's telling you up front. Luke is telling you up front. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God... Avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, verse 8 ties it 
to the previous passage that we've read. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Right? So he's given us the thesis. We're supposed to pray and we're not supposed to quit. But <clears throat> we're supposed to still be praying when he comes. We're supposed to be still be in that place of faith, walking in faith when he comes. And you know, as the days stretch on from <clears throat> the cross and the years roll by, 2,000 years now, little more than 2,000 years. You know, you and I want to see that day when it all is made right. We want to live in that point in time when everything is sorted out and everything is straightened out. And as time rolls on, it gets more wicked. Evil men wax worse and worse. <clears throat> things, get, things get worse in our world, and we look at the world, and it's easy for us to come to the place where we get weary. And we quit praying. And, 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 you know, and it's almost like we take a step back or take several steps back. And he says, don't. I want you to keep praying. I will put it all to rights. I will sort it all out. I want you to keep praying. I want you to stay in faith. Stay trusting me. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us now this morning? Lord, we need you to help us. Lord, we need you to put your hand upon us and help us as we look at the passage, Lord. Because, oh, Lord, we are of that generation that are weary, Lord. Lord, we're looking at a world that's unraveling around, our, uh, around us, Lord. And we're looking at it, and we're looking at Scripture, and we're looking at the world. And, Lord, the, the, the gap seems to grow wider every day. And the reality of your return, though we long for it, Lord, seems further away because of the wickedness of the world. Lord, would you shore us up? Would you strengthen us? Would you build us up now, Lord, in our holy faith that we might walk with you uh, even through these days and reckon on there is a day. Uh, there is a day that will come, and Lord, you will come, and you will set it all to rights. Now, Lord, bless, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, four points for you this morning. <clears throat> First point is this. Don't let weariness stop you praying. Don't let weariness stop you praying. Did you ever get there? You just got weary? And you felt, oh, what's the point? Just, what's the point? I mean, it's all just going against us. It's all going against Christianity. And you come to that place where you get weary. The purpose of this parable is to help you not to get weary, to encourage you not to get uh, weary. Uh, <clears throat> it's easy to grow weary waiting for the kingdom, for justice in the world. While we wait, things get work. Injustice, confusion, and wickedness seem to reign. I, con confusion reigns in our world today, doesn't it? Uh, everything that used to be normal, straight, and right uh, is now cast muddied, shadow, looks, looks different. And, and you and I, as believers of the book, we, we come back to the black and white of the book and we say, but the Bible says this. How come the world has gone completely away from all the norms and all the, uh, the realities of Scripture? How come we're being scorned for believing what once was common belief? You get weary. You can come to the place where you're fed up. It can get to you. It can all seem pointless. Just living in the day that we live in can suck the life out of you. Sometimes we want to give up and just go with the flow. Ah, oh, Whatever. God's going to do whatever he's going to do, and nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm just, I'm just, going, to, I'm just going to cave in. I'm just going to give in. But <clears throat> Jesus is saying here, don't do that. Don't give in. 
Don't let go. Don't let the world wash away your faith. One writer writes this, and it was really helpful to me. You get nothing else out of the message. I catch what he's saying here uh, in this. Prayer is a mysterious thing, at least with respect to the God of Scripture. Pagan prayer, however, makes perfect sense. In false religions, prayer is merely a part of a transaction, a process, in which the petitioner attempts to bend the will of his deity uh, to give him what he wants. Therefore, pagan prayers always involve bargaining, promising to do this or that in exchange for a positive answer, bribing, making large donations to gain a favorable hearing, begging, making oneself pitiful enough to warrant kindness, and justifying, proving oneself worthy of divine favor. Did you ever do that with God, by the way? Try and bargain with God? You know, plead with God? Harangue God? You know, and just, just hope by, by the volume of your words that you would get God to answer your prayer? It's closer to paganism than it is to Christianity. Because what you're doing is you're looking to bend the will of some deity to give you what you want. Effectively, you're the God in the situation. But when you come to God, it's completely different. <clears throat> That's what makes pagan prayer uncomplicated, arduous and painstaking, yet straightforward. Because it reduces the deity to the level of a vending machine. Insert enough money, perform the correct button-pushing ritual, and out pops the fulfillment of your request. Prayer before God, however, is the opposite. The God of the Bible cannot be bribed or manipulated. He needs nothing, so we can offer nothing that might convince him to do what we want. And he knows our hearts, so there's no use trying to inform him or appear worthy of favor. He knows you. And by the way, he knows you're not worthy of favor. <laughs> Understand that when you come to him on your, on your little bent of, I'm worthy of this, he looks at you and he says, no, you're not. And he knows that we're not worthy of him. I, <clears throat> Furthermore, he's completely sovereign, so he will not abandon his agenda to serve ours. Has that ever frustrated you? You come to God and you're beaten on the doors of heaven. Lord, I need you to do this. I have to have this. Lord, if you don't do this in my life, I don't know if I can go on. And, and you, 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 you try and press him into doing something, and he just, as it were, stands there impervious. Why? Because he has a sovereign will. It's a better will than your will. It's a better plan than your plan. And you know that because there's things you've prayed about that he hasn't given you. And you've said, oh, Lord, thank you for not giving me that. Because you don't know what's best for you. But he does. He's a sovereign God and he knows what's best. Thus, prayer before God is not an exercise in manipulation but a necessary part of relationship. He is a relational being who desires personal interaction. Unlike pagan prayer, which is simple yet demanding, prayer with God is complex yet effortless. Complex because he is a personality, not a vending machine, and effortless because he welcomes us into his presence. It's relational. What do you think Jesus was doing when he went out and spent a night in prayer with his father? Lord, I need this, and I need that, and I need the other. And Lord, can you give me some money? To, Father, can you give me some money to help me go on uh, with all the things I need to keep going? What do you think he was doing? He was relating. He was talking to Dad. He was drawing strength. But it was a relationship. That's what kept him up all night. Not, not browbeating God, his father, into doing something for him. I think the sweetest prayer comes in our lives when we sense our need, not of something, but of him. Isn't that true? 
that when you come to him in prayer and you put aside all the things you want and you listen, that that's endless, isn't it? And you're just so in turmoil. Lord, I need you. I just need you to speak to me. I need you to enter into my situation. Lord, I just need you. I think the sweetest prayer, perhaps the most real prayer in our lives comes at that point. And you see, what Jesus is saying is don't quit. Don't give up. Don't don't look at the world around you and see how wicked and bad and awful and terrible it is and and decide, ah, I can't be bothered. I'm just going to coast. I'm I'm going to go with the flow. Don't do there's a, there's a tendency, anytime, by the way, that the Bible warns us about doing something or not doing something, understand this. God knows you have a tendency to do it. Right? And when it says don't be deceived, you have a tendency to be deceived. When it says don't get weary in praying, you have a tendency to get weary and to give up and to let go. And God says don't. And by the way, the context of our passage here is justice and judgment it's not just talking about our needs our endless needs not talking about prayer in that sense listen that's fine and legitimate in its own place we have needs and we come to our father and we ask him to to meet our needs what it's talking about here is it's talking about the world being set to rights because the world is not set to rights at the moment the world is messed up it's terribly messed up It's growing more messed up, as far as I can see. And what it's talking about is it's talking about you looking at the mess in the world and thinking, what can we do? We're just so small and and, and going with the flow. Are you saying, no, no, my father will set this all to rights. My savior is coming back again, and he's going to fix it all. He's going to set it all right. He's going to set up a kingdom uh, that's going to rule the world in perfect righteousness and justice, and all the junk that I see today is going to be washed away. That's what's going to happen, right? <clears throat> so don't get weary in praying. Right? And then he gives an illustration, a parable. Um, uh, and it's been variously called the par- parable of the, <coughs> of the, uh, the ungodly judge, the persistent widow. Well, it's both. Right? <clears throat> but he says, in Luke 18, verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. Right? Now, let's just kind of understand what he's saying here. Right? He's telling us a whole lot uh, in that sense. By the way, Jesus was the master of, in a few words, drawing a huge contrast right, and, and, and teaching a powerful truth. He was the master of it. He could do it. And so in a few words, he's going to do just that for us. And he's talking about uh, a judge that feared not God in a regard to man. Well, civil judges were appointed to sort out disputes. They were supposed to be, if we go back to the Old Testament, they were supposed to be godly number one. They were supposed to be men that wouldn't be moved for a bribe. These judges were, were, were set up and they, were, they, 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 they dealt with disputes uh, around the country. So if you had a problem, uh, you know, it's kind of like going to the small claims court. You went to these guys and they would sort out your problem for you. The only problem was that uh, they were not what they were supposed to be. The, there was a, there was a, a term in, in, the, in the Hebrew that called them honorable judges. But by simply flipping one letter of it, uh, you could make it the term robber judges. And so that's what they were colloquially known as. They were known as the robber judges. 
right? Because they operated largely. I'm sure there were some good ones involved in it, but they operated largely on the basis of bribes. You had to pay them to get what you wanted done. If you, wanted, if you wanted to win the case, if you had a, a, a boundary dispute with your neighbor and he had taken over part of your field and you wanted the judge to find in your favor, well, you had to offer more money than the neighbor would do or you're likely to lose that part of your field. Right? So it, it was pretty bad. This guy was the worst. He didn't fear God and he didn't regard man. Didn't care about anybody. He was, listen, he was operating for himself. He was doing his own thing. He was using the fact that he was a judge to do what he wanted. To do. The, 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 the worst kind of judge is what Jesus is saying. Right? So uh, there, there wasn't a city of judge, the worst kind of judge. He feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. Now, when we think of a widow, we've got one idea of a widow. She may live in a nice house and she draws a pension and she does okay. Or maybe she works and earns a living. That's not what happened in ancient times. In ancient times... A woman without a man was a woman who was living in poverty. She was a woman that was having a very hard time. Remember, remember Ruth uh, in the Old Testament? Uh, Ruth came and she was gleaning. Right? No welfare system in that day. Uh, what she was doing is she was gathering up the, 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 the pieces of wheat and barley uh, that fell uh, as, as, as the, the harvesters were going through. And she, that, that's how she was living. That's what she was going to do to live. So a widow was poor. A widow had no man to fight for. So he's, he's giving you a picture here of what's going on. And the people listening to it, they, they would have understood that. Yeah, that's, you know, this, this poor woman is in, uh, is in dire straits. Uh, and the widow, uh, she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Right? So the woman has a grievance with somebody. It doesn't tell us what the grievance is. It doesn't need it for the story. Um, they immediately know she has a problem. Uh, maybe somebody has taken something on her and she's trying to get it back. Perhaps her husband has left some debt behind, her, uh, behind him and somebody is charging her an exorbitant amount and they're trying to actually get her to pay. And remember, in those days, if she couldn't pay the debt that her husband had run up, uh, what happened was she was sold. Her, her children could be sold. Right? So it was serious business uh, that she came to this judge with and she wanted help. She wanted him to sort out her situation and she had no man to fight for. She's very vulnerable. So... <clears throat> She comes to the judge, and she comes to the judge, and she comes to the judge. I, I imagine that what she did was every morning when he arrived at the office to go to work, to put it in our terms, there she was sitting outside the door. And he'd try and get by her and, and, you know, and, and have somebody else deal with her. But you know what? Every morning she was showing. Listen, she just became a pain, a pain in the neck to him. She just became a major problem to him. She just wouldn't quit. She wasn't going to give up. She was going to keep going until he did what she wanted her to do. She was on his case till he dealt with her case. She wasn't letting go. She wasn't quitting. She wasn't going to, to let this situation lie until he dealt with the situation. Now, now don't get the passage wrong. God is not telling you uh, to compare the father to the unjust judge. 
Sometimes we take that out of it. No, he's not. What he's doing is he's making this huge contrast. He said, listen, this is the wickedest of the wickedest, and he's a judge. This is what he's like. What do you think your father's going to do? Completely different. He does it in um, Luke 11 as well. Remember, if a son shall ask bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And then he says, if he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, wicked fathers wouldn't do this. What do you think your heavenly Father's going to do? A wicked judge is going to finally give in and answer this woman's prayer. What do you think your heavenly Father's going to do? He's not asking you to treat your heavenly Father like a wicked judge that you have to just get in his face and you have to make a problem for him and you have to make life difficult for him until finally he answers you. No, he's not saying that to you. What he's saying to you is, listen, this wicked judge didn't love God, didn't care about man, but you know what? He finally came around and did what you wanted him to do. What about your heavenly father? When it comes to you asking in prayer, when it comes to you seeking him in prayer, Uh, so the judge says okay listen I'm going to do what she wants because she's wearying me in fact the the word trouble out there is actually a boxing term Uh, Uh, she's going to to give me a black eye she's going to make me look bad Uh, she's creating a pain for me everybody's getting to know and um, so finally he says do what she wants I'll, I'll sort it out I'll do what she wants right now then Jesus says this And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Right now, we'll deal with the the last part of that uh, in another point. But uh, if the unjust judge answers, how much more will God answer your prayer? Folks, are you under the impression that you have to harass God to get what you want? That you have to use lots of words? That you have to speak lots of words? That you have to wake up every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning and you have to go after God and go after God and go after God until finally, like the unjust judge, he gets fed up with you? Listen, that's a very strange God that doesn't compare to the God of the Bible at all. That's not who he is. Listen, He is a father that loves you, and he is sensitive to everything you ask him. He hears. You say, well, that's all right and fine, Pastor, and that may be true for you, but you know what? In my life, there's a lot of things that I've asked God for, and he hasn't given them to me, right? Why would he not give them to you? Why would God not give you what you ask for? Listen, there's three, maybe four reasons, ways that God can answer prayer, right? God can say yes, and you get what you're asking for. Hallelujah. Don't we love that? We just love that when it comes quick and and it's there. Have you ever had prayer answered answered before you got around to asking it? That's just God showing you that he knows knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you need, right? Um, But sometimes you ask, and God doesn't give it. By the way... Is God allowed to say no to you in prayer? 
course he is. You can say, no, I'm not giving you that. He's done that in my life. He's told me. And by the way, we do well when he says no to take his no at face value. We really do. We do well when we take his no. Because you know what? I think there are times when you can push and he'll say, okay, I'll give it to you, but I'm telling you, it's not the best thing. I've seen that happen. God can say no to you. And if God says no to you, why does he say no to you? Because it's the best thing. He's a sovereign God with a vast plan that never forgets about you and your need. And if he says no to you, that's okay. That's okay. Some of the things you want taken out of your life, God says no. You know what? In heaven, you're not going to be looking back and saying, Oh, why didn't you do that, God? In heaven, you're going to be thinking, You know what? That was the best thing. Some things you want that he's not giving you. And in heaven, you're going to be saying, you know what? That was the best thing. Sometimes even in life we come to that place, don't we? But, but don't, don't put yourself in the place where you're, where you're looking at a God like this unjust judge and you think you have to harass him and harangue him and get it out of his hands because, you know what, you just need it. And No, that's not who your God is. Your God is a loving, heavenly Father. I said, I'm a father. I'm a human father, so like in Luke 11, I'm not the best of fathers. Certainly not as good a father as God is. But you know what? If my kids need something, I'm there. I want to make it happen for them. I, I want to do it if I can. Listen, your loving heavenly father knows what you have needed of, and sometimes he says, yes, here it is. And sometimes he says, no. And sometimes he says, Later. Remember that when your mommy used to say maybe? Nah, in our house, my mommy would say maybe, and we always knew we were getting it. We just weren't getting it yet. That was just the, the way she was. I mean, she would either say no, or she would say maybe. Uh, uh, if she said maybe, you know the way kids get to know what mommy's, mommy's saying. What she meant was, yeah, you're going to get it, but uh, she wasn't committing herself to it yet. God can say maybe to you. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to do it for you right now. And what's he doing there? He's using it to grow you. He's using it to draw you closer to him. It's, it's never just, I couldn't be bothered. And it's never just, oh, I can't do that. It's, you know what? We got a point here between us. Let's work on this. Remember, remember Paul well, three times he asked for the thorn of the flesh to be taken away, and God said, not taking it away. Why? Because I'm going to grow you with it, Paul. I'm going to help you to depend upon me. Paul did what so often we don't do, though. He actually accepted it. He embraced it. He said, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What do you, you and I need to do that. We need to embrace the things that God looks in our lives and he says, okay, I'm going to leave this problem in your life for now. You need to embrace it. And you know what? You can, you can do this when you embrace it. You go from the place where you're looking at the problem and saying, oh, I can't bear this. I can't live like this. And you're, you're, you're adding to your own suffering there. And you go to the place where you're actually looking into his face and saying, okay, Father, this hurts. But you know what? As long as you're in my situation, I'm okay. As long as you walk with me through it, Lord, I'm okay. And, and that's what we need. 
we need him in our situation. And that's what he promises us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's never just going to say, oh, I couldn't be bothered with you. God's not like the unjust judge. God's not just coming <clears throat> to, to, to hear you and, and do what you want him to do because it suits him to do it because you've, you've, you've just caused him enough bother. No, God loves you. And he comes to you because he loves you and he comes to you to help him. Now, let's remember this. Uh, <clears throat> as far as our, our passage is concerned, what we're talking about here is we're, we're talking not about what we need. The principles apply to what we need as well, but we're not talking about what we need. We're talking about him coming back and setting it all straight and setting it all right. We're talking about him coming back. It's, it's about justice and judgment that we're talking here. Right? <clears throat> Um, this passage of the parable is about <clears throat> justice. Jesus didn't suggest that persistent repetition of unselfish desire for one thing or another would eventually wear down God's resolve. The topic is justice, and God is by nature just. Therefore, we do not have to bend God's will to ours. We can expect justice, because it is something both God and his elect long to see. If we do not see justice quickly, we can be sure. It is not because God doesn't want his people to receive fair treatment. We can safely assume that other unseen factors are at work. Often justice rolls down slowly. His ways are not our ways. Right, so what's he getting? He's getting the point. You look at the world today. And it looks like wickedness is winning, doesn't it? It looks like insanity in some places is actually winning. It looks like it's just totally ridiculous, and yet that's the law. That's the way it goes in our country. That's the way it's going to be in our country. And we look at the situation, and we look at it, and we go, how can it ever get to rights? By the way, it won't ever get to rights. We are never going to vote in place a government that puts it to rights. It's going to get worse. I'm sorry, but it's you know, to be the harbinger of doom, so to speak. But it's going to get worse. It's going to look worse in the days ahead. So where are we going to get justice? We're going to get it from him. He is going to come. He is going to rule. He is going to set it all to rights. You are not on the losing side like you might feel very often. You are not on the, you know, the, 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 the lame-o, uh, ridiculous, uh, biblical, fundamental Christian side, whatever they, whatever they would like to name they would put onto you. You're on the winning side. And he's going to come one day and he's going to establish his reign and justice is going to roll. And all of a sudden, you're going to be vindicated. All of a sudden, the fact that you walked with him and depended upon him and, and, and stayed the course with him and, and reckoned on his truth and reckoned on the Bible as being true, all of a sudden, you're going to be, look like a winner. The problem for us is, between this and then, it's kind of hard. By the way, <clears throat> let me say this to you. You need to be looking to that day. Worldliness is when you settle down in the world and you say, well, this is the way it goes. And you settle down in it and you're happy in it and you think it's okay. It's not okay. It's, it's totally off. It's broken. It's ridiculous in areas. 
<clears throat> you got to understand that. And you got to, in, in the heart of the child of God, there's a longing for justice and judgment. Right? <clears throat> thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All the way through the New Testament, we find that longing for the return of Jesus to sort it all out and get it all straightened out and, and have it all in the right place. And you and I need to keep that in mind. Listen, this is not our world. This is not where we're going to stay. This, this, is, this, this world system is completely at odds with the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. It's completely at odds with it. Don't, don't be surprised that it looks ridiculous. Don't be surprised that it's confusing. Don't be surprised that there's injustice on every side. Don't be surprised that people look at you and they say nonsense as though it's perfect truth. And they don't be surprised because you've got a world system that is totally at odds with Christ and his kingdom. That's what you're living in. And I, I, I understand for the believer, you know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so at times we're kind of, our, our heads are kind of uh, twisted by it. We're, we're, our heads are kind of shaken by it, by, by, by what we see around us. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about you and I staying in the right place in our heads. Yes, we have to live with it. No, we're not going to change it. You and I are not political beasts that are going to go out there and change it and make it happen. Politics will never change it. I have friends in the U.S. and they're looking for the right kind of a leader to step into the White House. And he's going to change it all and make it all right. It's never going to happen. It's never going to come about. Man is never going to sort this mess out. Jesus will, though. He will sort it all out completely. So you and I are supposed to be longing for that day when he sorts it out. Yes, we got to live. Yes, we got to do whatever we got to do as far as making a living is concerned. But don't settle down in it. Don't make it your home. Don't come to the place where this world is, is, is what you've made yours. You're a pilgrim passing through. Final point is this, right? Will you be living by faith? When he comes, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, <clears throat> I'm not talking to us. He's talking to the disciples now. When he comes, are you going to be in that place of faith? What does it mean in this context? It means you haven't absorbed yourself into the world system. Or let the world system absorb you. You've lived with a tension a contention between you and the world you've lived in a place where you've recognized no you know what i don't belong here i'm, I'm going i'm going home i'm going to be with him this is not right he's going to fix it all you've lived in a place where you've actually decided no you know what i'm for him he is truth his word is truth i'm going to live by that truth even though the world is absorbing all kinds of nonsense I'm going to live by the word. Is that difficult? That's very difficult. That, that's very difficult for, for, for human beings to do. I do honestly think on that level, Christianity in our comfortable world, and it's very comfortable, in our comfortable world, Christianity is hard. Because it's so easy to say, oh, I can't do it. I can't stand against it anymore. I mean, you know what? Evolution and the LGBT movement and all of those things are just, listen, they're just pressing you and I. To see it their way. And God says, no, it's totally different. 
Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom and he's going to say, no, it's actually not. It's my world, my kingdom, my rules. And man does not get to make them up as he goes along. And as hard as it is right now, understand that one day he will make it all clear and clean. Jesus is saying here that continual prayer until he comes is not only the evidence of faith, but the means of building faith until his return. So that you and I, continually looking to him, continually looking at our situation and say, yeah, it stinks. Yeah, this old world system is getting worse and worse, but Jesus is coming. And what we do is we draw away from it. And we cry out to him. You know, the picture that we find of Jesus very often in the Gospels is this. And rising up a great while before day, he went into a desert place. He went into a place apart. And he prayed. You know what he did? He pulled himself out of the world. And he went off and he found a quiet place away from the world, away from the disciples, away from everybody. And he said, Dad, let's talk. Dad, this, this place is crazy. Let's talk. I, I need some sanity. I need some real. That's what you and I need. We need some real. Not a place where you go with your shopping list. Lord, I need this and I need that. Would you do this and would you do that? Look, folks, if you've got burdens, you can bring them to your father. He loves you and he cares about you. But don't go like a pagan. And Lord, if you do this, I'll, I'll, I'll put more money in the offering, Lord. In order for you to do this, then I'll give up smoking. Now, listen, don't treat God like he's some kind of a pagan deity. You go to your heavenly father and you talk to him. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that very often, if you treat him like that, the things you need will just be there. Why? Because seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put him first, draw near to him. So the question for us is this this morning. Are you immersed in the world system? Is this becoming home to you? Are you settling down? And the world is, you know what? It's not too bad. Or are you pulling yourself out of it and getting alone with your father and talking not about your kingdom, Not about what you want, but his kingdom and what he wants. And finding that as you do, the world falls into place because it is his world and he owns it. And you'll hear that whisper, don't worry, child, I'm coming. Don't worry, child, I'm going to sort it all out. It's okay. I know it looks bad right now. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. You see, when he comes back, he wants you to be standing saying, Oh, at last you're here. I've waited so long. There's a crown for those who love his appearing. For those who are in that place where, you know what? They never quite could settle down in this world. 
They were longing for him and his return. That's where the Christian's supposed to live. We're supposed to live praying for justice and judgment and serving him in the meantime. And when we do that, one day, one day, you're going to say it was all worth it. It was all, it was so worth it. And when you get sucked into the world and you let the world begin, become the dominant in your life, and you let it be where you get your pleasure and it be where you get your fun and it be where you get your significance and you know what? You're just like the world. When he comes, you're going to be one of those people that's saying, oh, I wish. I wish I had done it differently. It's hard. That's why he says, don't give up praying. Don't get weary in praying. That's why he told this parable. He said, I want you to stay in that place. I want you to be crying out to me. I want you to understand this is not it. Come away from the world. Step into my presence and see reality because that's what's real. What we see around us, folks, is often nonsense. It's often just nonsense that makes no sense. Even humanly speaking, a lot of the stuff we're seeing around us doesn't even make any sense. How many fads and things have you seen in your lifetime, you know, where something was the, the, the latest rage and this was the thing that was going to answer everything and it's come and gone. The things we're facing today will come and go. They won't satisfy the world. But you know what? There'll be something else. And then eventually, he will come down and he will say, this was all true. And those, my children, that stayed in that place where they were longing for me and longing for me to make it true. Those are my children that love me. And you're going to look at the situation and you're going to be so thankful that you did. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this parable. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Oh, Lord, our God, Lord, we live in a world that is compelling and drawing and has so many tentacles and so many hooks that it reaches into us with. But, Lord, may we not give in. May we not get sucked in. May we not become part of it, Lord. But may we stand on the outside. May we be a people that draw away from it and draw close to you. And, oh, Lord, we long for that day when you will come, when you will vindicate your word and vindicate your people, and you will come in power. And, oh, Lord, we wait for that day. Now, Lord, bless us as we wait. Keep us close to you as we wait. Be, be ever-present in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' precious name, amen.